0: We're going to kick off a new series today and it's going to look a little bit different for the next several weeks and we'll, we'll tell you why in a minute, but um, the series is really sort of setting the groundwork for where we believe, where we are confident that God is leading Calvary Church and so um, it's going to take us a while to explain that and so I'm grateful that you're here, um, but it's going to take us a while to, to do the whole thing. So, But before we look forward, I think it's important that we look back because the last several months have been... Um, incredible. God has provided amazing teaching for Calvary. And, you know, when we, if we had thought at the beginning of this year, hey, let's organize an amazing sermon series, I don't think we would have even come close to what God provided for us. And so um, we're just grateful for that. But I'm going to take like two minutes and try and just blast through what we what we experienced over the last four months. So if you remember... Um, After Easter, we had a series called What Now, What Next? Pastor Chip came and he talked about how we are uh, to be disciples and to disciple in a disrupted world. And he gave us this uh, acronym that was um, CHRIST. And it was Christ, not causes, healing, not hostility, relationships, not real estate, innovation, not indignation, substance, not success. Somebody say that better than me. Substance, not success. <laughs> um, trust and technolo- Trust over technology. And the whole, I th- whole idea was that we need to become better theologians. We need to be studiers of God's word. We need to disciple our families, and we need to engage the culture with biblical conviction. Next, we had Pastor Brian Loritz, who did a series on parenting, and he said that uh, parenting starts with healthy marriages, and healthy marriages start being rooted in the gospel. And that's in forgiveness and uh, supporting each other. Um, He talked about our children are like arrows and we need to equip them to be sent out to fulfill their God-given purpose. Next we had Dr. Tim Muehlhoff from Biola who's from the Winsome Conviction and he reminded us that we are in a culture war and the way to approach a culture war is to hold fast to biblical convictions but to have conversations with love and respect. And he said if there's something that we care about so much that we want to have a conversation about it, we need to do our homework and and understand and, and know it on both sides. then we had Pastor Dan Kimball and he wrote a book, How Not to Read the Bible, and he has four principles that uh, when we're reading the Bible we need to remember and that it is a library of books. It's written for us, not to us. We need to read everything in the context of the entire storyline and that Jesus is the focal point. And then last week we had Pastor Dave Carlson who uh, reminded us to swim in our lane, to know our gifts, to be serving in our church, and to be serving in the community that God has put us in. And that is a perfect setup and segue for what we're gonna talk about this morning. But um, over the next six weeks, with, with exception for one, um, we're gonna have a conversation we're gonna share uh, some different perspectives and share again what God's been doing. And we're gonna to start to try and tie all this together, what all of that means for where we're headed. And so Dan, would you share a little bit more about the series?
1: Yeah, thank you. So um, first, I just wanna welcome everybody that's in the main auditorium, those that are right outside, that are outside worshiping, and those in the traditional worship service that are streaming live, as well as there's going to be some of you that also watch this later. So welcome, everyone. You're part of Calvary, uh, however you're choosing to worship. So we're so glad to have you here. Uh, And the, the teaching that we've had over the last... Um, four months has been truly remarkable. And as much as none of us can take credit for what you're going to see in terms of what we're going to explain over as we have these conversations over the next um, six weeks, but God really had a plan and gave us the right teachers at the right time to teach us the right things. But Along with that, Danny did most of the legwork to organize everything and um, brief all the, all the wonderful teachers that God supplied. So Danny, thank you so much for what you did. Uh, so as, as we've been talking about already is that um, over the last four months, we as, a, as elders and as leadership team, had to start thinking about, okay, first of all, we've been declaring that this is God's church. It's not our church. And, uh, and then we started to um, pray about, well, what, is, what does our vision actually mean? In our generation, introducing Silicon Valley to Jesus, what does that actually mean? And how do we go about that? God, how do you want us to go about it? And so we started digging into that, it was a, an interesting process where, where we would discuss it, and then we would go away and individually pray about it, and then come back a week later and then say, well, what did you hear? Or what did you hear? And remarkably, uh, God led us through this process over, it, it was a couple months of digesting this and, and trying to understand what all, God was saying. Uh, And now we've had a chance, I've had a chance to lead I think five different groups, you know, the elders and the elder fellowship, the leadership team and a couple of the staff groups, so now all the staff. Um, It's been a remarkable journey. Uh, Now it's time we want to share this with the, um, with all of you. And uh, it'll be a little different way and since most of us are not uh, teaching pastors, we decided to try it a different way and have conversations. And we would, so you'll see every every week um, an elder or two, a leadership team person, and we'll have an external voice because we think we need all of those to really um, articulate um, what what we've been through and draw you into that process. So that's what we're going to try and do. And so this is the first week of doing that. So as you, uh, you probably notice, there's a guy over here that most of you don't recognize. And this is my friend, Mark Thrash. Mark is the uh, director of strategic initiatives at Novo. Novo is a large mission organization. They have over 600 missionaries around the world. One of those happens to be one of our missionaries, uh, Nadim Costa. And so uh, through, Nadim and and other things along those lines, we've gotten a chance to know uh, Mark and and the Novo team. Uh, Most, some of you uh, know Mark from the spiritual authority cohort, because Mark was the, is the leader of that and the guy who came up with a crazy idea to do that. And I think there's about 93 people at Calvary that have already gone through this. And it's an amazing journey in terms of learning about prayer tools, activating prayer tools that um, are so important to our our personal walk with Jesus as well as how we go out into the community and be Jesus.
2: So uh, Mark, would you say a little bit about your background that might pertain to this? Thanks guys, thank you all for having me. Um, Grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, Went out to Biola University in Southern California. I um, had an amazing experience there. I had the opportunity to play basketball, if anybody's Hoops fans out here. Um, and I, I, I met my wife after college. Uh, she's, from, she's from Orange County. I jokingly say I married an Orange County girl and got stuck down there, We're stuck out there. So um, we've been married 16 years, have three kids, our actually two oldest are leaving, um, probably about right now, to their first uh, summer camp at Forest Home Christian Camp in Southern California, so they're, I have 12, 11, and seven, so Hazel and Hank are headed off to camp today. Uh, my wife and I were Young Life area directors for our first five years of marriage, so given our lives to reach um, teenagers far from God, and I was a basketball coach at the high school, and just living incarnationally among, among teenagers, and then one of my um, good friends from Biola was a missionary with Novo in South Africa, and so I've now been with Novo for 10 years. So it's a privilege to be here with you all.
1: That's great. It's amazing how fast time flies on that. So Danny, we, you know most of the Calvary knows a little bit about you and your journey, but as it pertains to our conversation this morning, could you share a little bit about uh, your experiences?
0: I can, yeah, so we're, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, prayer and how God is at work and we're going to continue to kind of unpack that but I will admit now I wouldn't I wouldn't have said this uh in the midst of it but I will admit now knowing what I know that I believed I think that when the Bible was done being written that that was the end of the Bible and like it's a tool for us to know how to live and some of some of that but I I think I, I didn't really understand that God is still at work and so um Several years ago now, we went to a conference to, we went for a specific purpose, to learn a very specific thing, but learn something completely different. And um, I wasn't prepared for it, but what we witnessed through um, physical healing and prophecy and some of that kind of stuff, truly I was left with two options when I left that conference. And it was either this is true, or all these people are liars. And and I, I was pretty sure it wasn't that. So, so then that started a journey for me of like, well, what is this that God is doing? Like, what is this whole thing? And so um, it's been years of seeing God move in little ways. Um, but the cool part about that for me is then experiencing God work, experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that I wasn't, I didn't even have a category for before. Then I could look back at the rest of my life and say, oh, he was present then, and then, and there, and, and to be able to acknowledge that God was at work my entire life, I just, didn't, I just didn't know it. And so I was able to go through the cohort, and that was an amazing experience to, again, to have more tools to understand, um, and to learn, and to grow, and it's still a journey for me, but um, that's probably the best part about it and the best way to say it. I think part of my background that is relevant here is
1: that uh, at some point as uh, Nadim and the Novo team were, were really getting traction in the Middle East. They decided for a number of reasons they needed a separate board for, to look, uh, look f- over the Middle East and to care for it. And uh, so I was asked to serve on that board, and I'm still on that board. So in that process, I've uh, gotten a chance to pray a lot and visit a number of times the Middle East, which has been uh, Amazing in terms of changing how I look at, at the world and how, see it through the lens of Jesus. So,
0: well, I was just going to ask you guys. You, you've seen a lot of things. You, you just referenced that you've, you've been in the Middle East. Mark, you do this all the time. So um, we just want to talk a little bit now about what are you seeing? How are you seeing God move, and, and what does that look like? You know, many of you have heard the
1: Nadim's Nadim stories of um, how... God will show up in somebody's living room, or in a vision, or, you know, th- this happens dozens of times a day in the Middle East, and um, when you go over there, you see people healed. Um, you see baby Christians prophesying, quoting scripture that they've never cracked open that part of the Bible on. You know, uh, it's just remarkable, and uh, the first time I went over there it was you know, growing up in, in this area and um, quite frankly thinking God was kind of not moving that much uh, in the modern world. Mm-hmm. And, and to see a movement of God like that was amazing, shocking. You know, like you, I had to kind of go back to reread and study and, and see how you know, how does this all fit into What I believe. Now the good news is. It fits perfectly. But I did have some. Really I believe some lies of the enemy. You know that. God was really not that active. And you know Satan isn't all that active. It's just us humans trying to get along. And we're not doing that. We're flawed and all that. Not really understanding what was going on. So. um, I can tell you at least in the Middle East. That's not the case. God is. Amazingly active, I think we have now what over two hundred and fifty thousand um, arabs that ha- that are now in we call them dBS groups, but they 're home churches essentially across the region, two hundred and fifty thousand over the last ten years discovery Bible
2: studies the dBS
1: yeah, yeah. so um, Mark, why don't you give us some of your um, perspective?
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> with NOVA we have the privilege of seeing God move in different contexts and one thing that's so fun for me and I think is so is so motivating and inspires me is just that when, when the gospel goes forward and the kingdom breaks in, is that culture is transformed. So it's not just that new disciples, people become followers of Jesus, but it starts to transform the culture. Um, and so I want to tell you some stories about that, um, but I actually was just recently rereading through Acts, and it came to Acts 19, and there was a couple examples of this. So I don't know if you've had that experience, is sometimes you find a truth in Scripture and then you see it play out in the world, or you see it, you know, in the world, and then you, you find it revealed in Scripture. So I'm going to read a couple of these in Acts 19. So this first one... Also, many of those, this is 19, Acts 19, 18 through 20. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So that's a little example, right, of people giving up their practices. The fun thing about this, actually, is I wish I could have the pictures. Um, I've I've seen two pictures and heard two stories of this happening with some Novo teams. So once in South Africa, a witch doctor, they they burned all all of her stuff. And it was actually in western Colorado, too. Ouija boards and all this kind of stuff. So giving it up. And then later in Acts, in Acts 19, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. I love that. We're going to come back to that. No little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear not only that in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia... This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So he's worried about losing his business, right? Losing his wealth. Um, Paul is really wrecking, bringing some disturbance here. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. So the temples are coming down, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. Magnificence, since whom all Asia and the world worship. Isn't this amazing? So the gospel's going forward, and Paul's talking about all these gods, and these guys are realizing, oh, we're going to lose our business. And then the temple's coming down. So I think there's a lot of little sermons we could have in here. You know, the, the first one is um, in, in, that, in that first verse, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. So a question I have for you, Calvary, is what kind of disturbance for the kingdom are you all making here in the Silicon Valley? You know, Dallas Willard, I I consider him a friend and mentor that I never got to meet. And he he talks about how, you know, Jesus' main message is that the kingdom is at hand, right? The kingdom is here, but there's competing kingdoms. So there's lots of other kingdoms presence also. But as, as we're followers of Jesus and we're partnering with Jesus, right? Shouldn't there be a little bit of a disturbance to, what, to what's going on in the culture that is opposite of the kingdom of God? And then, you know, I think in here we could ask, you know, what are, the, what are the gods? What are the gods in our culture? What are the idols that need to come down? What are the gods in our own lives that need to come down? So, those are just a couple examples from, from, from Acts of seeing that, that not only um, as new followers of Jesus are happening, but the culture is also being transformed. But I also want to tell you just a couple stories. So, um, m- my favorite part of going to the Middle East and, and seeing what God is doing there is what Jesus does for Muslim women. And, and this one trip, um, we took a, a couple, and, and um, they're from kind of a patriarchal culture. Um, And she was describing after this, you know, in our church, um, it goes on for two, three hours, and and women don't speak, okay? So we're in this, it's kind of a couple of Discovery Bible studies coming together for a church gathering. And there's a Syrian refugee woman, former Muslim Muslim background believer, um, that has come to Jesus, and she's now on staff, and she's leading this gathering, and then there's all these Muslim women with head coverings standing up and giving testimony to how Jesus has transformed them. You know, dreams, visions, what's he done for their family, healings. And for this woman, our friend that we brought, this blew all her circuits <laughs> that this, this was happening, a woman leading Muslim women testifying to Jesus. And um, our director there talks about how in Islam, uh, women are just an accessory And so what Jesus does for for Muslim women is gives them dignity, gives them a voice, gives them a purpose, and it's just, it's amazing thing, it's amazing thing to witness. The um, the second thing I wanted to share from there, um, in September of 2018, I got to go, I've been to Lebanon a handful of times, but I got to go to Egypt for the first time, to Menya. And um, in Egypt, it's it's a shame culture, and so one of those things if, If if my brother or sister had a disability, had a a handicap of some way, no one would marry me. There's a shame over the family, and so a lot of times they keep kids with disabilities just in back rooms and things like that. So one of our staff had a vision um, to to break into that, right? To see see this brokenness in the culture, um, and started. So, witnessing to families, they started following Jesus, and then they're bringing their kids out. People are like, who is this? And this is, you know, this is our son or daughter, and it started breaking this shame culture. So I think I have a picture of, um, this is Flo. Um, I think she was probably about four foot two, just a huge smile. And she was talking about how she now takes public transportation, takes buses without shame. Like, she really didn't leave her house or her little community at all. And Flo now leaves, leads um, 12 discovery Bible studies in four villages. She has these hand crutches. And so it was, it was such an amazing thing to witness, to think about, you know, this shame culture in Egypt is a, is a big deal, right? So the gospel starts going, people start following Jesus, and then it breaks the, sh- the shame culture. So that cultural transformation, again, is, is so um, inspiring to me. Another example of this, um, summer of 2019, I got to take my family to South Africa. We were living in a black township outside of um, Pretoria, which is outside of um, Johannesburg in the, the township of um, Sochenguve. And our, our staff person there, Luke Kabongo, we were doing a prayer walk, and he was talking about how he trains his, his, the young leaders and apprentices to have kingdom eyes, and this, this was so helpful for me, because it wasn't, it wasn't white Western eyes, but to have kingdom eyes. And what in our culture here needs to be transformed? And he would talk about a couple things I remember was um, some of their dating practices. And the dowry system they have when you get married. He was talking about all the damage that wrecks for, in relationships and marriages and dating, and how that, you know that this is opposite the kingdom. And he, he's talking about money practices of how um, there's this there's these myths about saving money. If you save it, it's going to be taken from you. So people just spend their money and don't ever save anything. And so. You know, this idea, so, you know, we can have that too, right? To have, ask the Lord, give me kingdom eyes. What in our culture, because we're swimming in the culture, right? But again, being a disturbance as followers of the way. Lord, give us kingdom eyes to see what is opposite the kingdom. Last example is in uh, Colorado. I actually don't know the beginning of this story. I wish I knew, but um, our staff there I think, you know, with all the police stuff going on in our culture, but they had an opportunity or they, they approached the sheriff. They started a discovery Bible study with them, and that sheriff of this city is getting baptized this week or next week. And then they're going to start doing discovery Bible studies with the police officers. So again, think about the, the cultural transformation that's going to happen. Not only is it a new disciple. Um, so I, I, hope, I hope this is motivating to us all. You know, we, we, I hope that you feel this way, and we at NOVA, we want to see new disciples made, and we want to see them multiply, but we also want to see um, cultures transformed. And, and I think another question for us, if I could throw this out to you is, if you see cultural brokenness, or something, you know, that kind of burns in your heart, what, what's the best way to see it transformed? What's the best way to see it transformed? And so I would just, I would say um, our, our kind of bias at Novo is, yes, we want to meet those needs. We want, to, we want to meet people where they are. But at the same time, to see ultimate cultural transformation, we need to see people become followers of Jesus and the kingdom to break in for it to be holistic and lasting. So I think it gives
0: us a potential strategy. Yeah, that's awesome. Good. So that's that's some of the evidence for God's movement around the world. So miracles, signs, wonders, cultural transformation. Um, so let's let's look a little bit about or at Silicon Valley, Dan. You've um, you've told the story a couple times of going from the Middle East back and having a vision from the Lord. Would you just share some of that with us?
1: Yes. You know, in, in going back and forth to the the Middle East um, in 2018, I had back-to-back trips that were maybe uh, two months apart. And, and the first trip back as, I, as my, uh, the airplane I was on was on approach to SFO. All of a sudden I had this vision where I was sitting on top of the plane and I could see all of Silicon Valley. And I heard this voice that I knew was God saying, you need to figure out how to apply what you've learned in the Middle East to Silicon Valley. And my, in my brain, I'm going, yeah, you know, too bad our pastor isn't here to, you know, and hasn't experienced some of this. And, you know, I, I really need to be praying about who, you know, how we do that, you know. Two months later, I'm flying back in to SFO again, same vision, same words. This time, it's like, oh, you're talking to me, aren't you? <laughs> Dan needed two burning bushes. to. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It takes a little while to get my attention, apparently. So um, that's when I realized, man, I, I need to take this seriously. And, and, and what? so I started a journey of talking to various Christian leaders in Silicon Valley, not just in churches, also parachurch organizations, and and asking them, so what's God's doing? You know, what? What are the things that limit you, and uh, th- and then also thinking about well, how is advanced Silicon Valley similar to Middle East, and and what can I apply from Middle East there, and over time, those similarities have become a lot clearer, and we'll talk more about that over the next few weeks. But so that was the. The first set of visions that I had. And then about, I think, four or five weeks ago, um, I had a similar vision. This time I wasn't on a plane, but I was looking down at Silicon Valley, same shot. And there was this massive lion that was straddling the bay, you know, with his paws on dry land on each side of the bay. And I knew it was the Lion of Judah. Um, and he said, I will have my day. Roaring, I will have my day. And I knew that wasn't the day of judgment. That was day of awakening. Mm. And so from time to time, I'll see that, that vision again. And the lion is faced a different way. And uh, so one time, it was up towards San Francisco and in the, in the North Bay. But often, it's down here facing Los Gatos and the South Bay.
0: That's awesome. And that's it's consistent with what we're hearing when we're talking with other church leaders is that there's this sense that God wants to move in the Silicon Valley, that He's ready to move. He wants to work. He wants to awaken His people to the truth of who He is. So it's, it's um, really special to hear that. Mark, from your perspective as a, a missions organization who's paying attention to this stuff around the world, um, when you guys think about and look at Silicon Valley, what, what are some of the things that you see?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is um, with movements of the gospel, the first thing we talk about is activating prayer. And you can look back through history, and there was never a movement of the gospel without um, intentional, strategic, expectant prayer. Um, and so for us to see Dan and others um, beginning to go out and pray in cities and take back territory and prepare the land, Um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that all around the world. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little discouraging, I have to admit that that sometimes our missionary team says it takes three to five years of consistent prayer, you know, where I'm just like, can we see this after a few months, (laughs) you know? Um, and so, yeah, just that, that is a, that's an encouraging thing of that activating prayer. And then the the other things, the the five components we see in, in gospel movements, the next one is engaging culture and then making disciples then you, you, you're developing leaders and then forming churches, and so this is just, you know, this is the beginning um, to, to see a movement happen. The other thing I'm just thinking about now, um, I don't know if you guys can notice, but Dan keeps tearing up up here. And um, the one thing, this is um, I know of a Nova staff person. I first heard her say this. She said, when you start prayer walking a place, or you start praying intentionally for a place, your affection will grow for that place. And so Dan, you know, he's been given a kingdom assignment, and now he's going forward, and his affection is growing. And so, um, I just uh, maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's scary for you, or it's compelling. But I, I guarantee you that'll happen if you if you step into the spiritual authority you have as a resident here, and in your context, your affection will grow for that place. Amen.
1: Yeah. So I think that. Uh, you may remember back a, a couple of months when Chip Ingram, in his series, said the next season is going to look more like the first century than the last century, and I think I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing that. So so that's really exciting to see, and uh, and uh, I'm excited to step into that.
2: Amen. Who wouldn't want to see the Book of Acts again? Come on. Woohoo!
0: Amen. So what, we just wanted to talk a little bit about that. What, what were some of the characteristics that we saw in the early church? And one of the things that we will see over and over again is that the church was known for their deeds, for their good deeds, but it goes way back before that. Ancient Israel, when they're out in the desert, they're getting the law, they get the Ten, Ten Commandments from, from God on the mountain, which becomes 613 laws that the, the Jewish people need to follow. If you read it as a narrative, as the first five books of the Bible, You'll see that God's heart is for Israel to be a nation set apart from their neighbors. That, it, that he values life. And, and uh, scholars who, who look at this stuff and know the laws of Babylon and the Canaanite uh, neighbors will say women had it much better in Israel than they did in those neighboring nations. The value for life was much higher in Israel than it was anywhere else. And so it starts back then, and then Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he takes it way further in, all, in most of his teachings. But when we look at um, even the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, we won't read it all, but essentially this guy gets hurt, he gets robbed, and these Jewish people walk by him and they, you know, they turn their head like, I don't want to get involved in that. And then the Samaritan who is maybe considered maybe just a little bit less than an enemy, he cares for this guy, he puts him up in a hotel, he pays all of his bills, he takes care of him. Um, and Jesus says in verse 37, go and do likewise. And then we know in history books, it's not actually documented necessarily in the Bible, but in history books, the Roman church, the first church, which is like 50 years after Jesus died, they're figuring out how to be a follower of Jesus. They're known for their good deeds. They literally went out and rescued babies that Romans didn't want from trash heaps and cared for them. They were caring for the babies. It was the first picture of foster care. It's right there in in the ancient church. But even more than that, when the plagues came through, the Christians were the ones who took care of the sick. Whether the sick were kicked out of the city, the Christians would go with them. Whether everybody else left the city and left the, the sick there, the Christians stayed and cared for these people. They, they put their lives first, or they laid their lives down for, for others. And just a couple other examples. Uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, which is sort of this ambiguous area, he talks about the difficulty of... Um, Jewish people relating with Gentiles trying to figure out how to be followers of Jesus. He spends all this time writing about it and at the end his last thing actually let's just read it. Um, Galatians 6 verse 6 Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So don't give up doing good works means that they were already doing good works, so let's keep doing good works. So that's that's one of the things that the early church was known for. Yeah, they were definitely doing amazing things from yeah.
1: a deed perspective. The yeah. other was we we read of all the... All the miracles, all the healings, all the deliverances that Jesus did and the uh, and the apostles did, and um, as we talked about earlier, we're seeing that in the Middle East right now. Uh, but what, there's a passage um, Acts five twelve through fourteen that uh, I thought just really, uh, when we talk about living the Book of Acts, this is this is what I'd love to see. Um, The apostles performed many signs, wonders, and miracles among the people, and the believers were wonderfully united as they met regularly in the temple courts in the area known as Solomon Porch. No one dared harm them, for everyone held them in high regard. Continually, more and more people believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers, great crowds of both men and women. So that's uh, clearly... Power was a key component. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, why don't you uh, help us evangelicals who tend to be very strong in the Word, but get a, especially with the uh, the power stuff, get a little, you know, like, oh boy, you know, how do we yeah. how how do we uh, deal with all that, and how do we look at all that? Could you share what you guys have
2: learned? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Um, if you don't mind I'll just share a little bit of my story before even coming into novo um, like I said my wife and I were area directors with young life and uh, we thought we were lifers given our given our lives to, to reach lost kids um, so we had one baby one on the way and it just felt like our season was changing just the pace of youth ministry and different things and it was scary so we' were starting to feel like is, is season is the season done and Our premarital counselor had said, as followers of Jesus, we should discern rather than decide when it comes to decision-making. And so I wanted to give this discernment thing a shot. Um, And so that's what I call my oh-crap moment, okay? Because discernment is based on hearing from God. And as we we went into that, I realized I'd never heard from God before. Um, No one ever told me I could hear from God. And so... You know, I started asking questions of friends, like, how, do you hear from God? Like, how do you hear from God? Looking in the scriptures and, you know, finding all the way from the garden, all the way through, God's been communicating. You know, we have the Holy Spirit, started reading books on it. Um, and so that, that's actually right when I entered, we transitioned out and I entered into Novo. And I felt like for, for Novo missionaries, hearing from God was like breathing to them, you in, in a really beautiful way. So it was, it was in their own intimacy and relationship but also in their ministry contexts. So, so, God, what are you doing here? And listening for those kingdom assignments and where are the strongholds of the enemy? And, um, and, and all that was new for me. And, and then, then I get exposed to inner healing prayer. I'd never, I'd never heard of inner healing prayer before. Um, seeing people prayed for, for physical healing. I'd never really seen that. I'd never tried that before. Dealing with the demonic, you know, you know, never, never seen this. All these things, and you know what I realized was it was all outside my box. But it, it wasn't really weird or sensational. You know, some of it was a little weird, but um, mostly just, mostly just outside of my box. And so. Came to find that there's a there's a, a kind of a, a key paradigm we use within Novo, and and this was the, the what I was seeing of, of word deed and power. I think we have a couple. We're actually gonna we'll we'll send a, we're gonna send you an electronic PDF. It's a little article we've put into a booklet written by our president Sam Metcalf, who's sitting here actually. And so, really, what this is is that there's there's three dimensions of the gospel. If you go to that next slide. Um, and, and we know these things, right? So the word is, is, is the scriptures. It's, it's proclamation of the gospel, right? And most of us, evangelical background, um, are strong there. That's, that's where I've been the strongest. Even some of the sermon series you were going through, right? It's like really emphasizing that. And then deed. I mean, Danny just talked about it, right? But caring for the, the widow and the orphan, it's the, it's the Good Samaritan story. It's the book of James, um, so, th- this is, part, is demonstrating, right, is, is, is these good works. Um, but then there's also the power component. And if you look through the Gospels and you start to look back through, after I discovered this, I was like, wow, it's all in here. I mean, Acts 1-8 says, right, you're, the, you're, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and you will receive what? Power, and you will be my witnesses. We look at Jesus sending out the 12 and the 72, and he's delegating his authority to them. And that, that we have this, this power, this authority, it's, it's in the name of Jesus, right? It's, it's in the name of Jesus. So it's, it's really this, um, this three-legged stool, okay? So we're gonna do a little survey, um, outside, virtual, and here in the room, okay? You must raise your hand for one thing, at least, okay? So the question is, what are you strongest in? Which component are you strongest in? Okay, so everybody that's strongest in the word component, Raise your hand. I could make you stand, so come on, everybody. All right. Uh, deed. Who's strongest in the deed component? Raise them up. And power. There's a few, few strong power people out here. That's usually, that's usually how it is um, in evangelical circles. Um, so the, the, the other piece to this, if you go to that, go to that next slide, is, is the idea, if you see that, is, is the yellow. The idea is to live from the center, okay? So if we think about, and this is talked about in, in this booklet, but if we get to the extremes, you know, if you get to the extreme of word, you, you have like a dogmatic legalism, right? You get to the extreme of deed and it, it's social gospel like without Jesus, the extreme of power is charismania and weird sensational stuff, right? So the concept here is to live from the center, right? That, that three-legged stool. And we really see this in the model of Jesus, okay? I think, I think you know this, and, and maybe this will give you a new paradigm, but this, this is what Jesus does, is he proclaims the good news of the kingdom, and then he demonstrates it. So he proclaims it, and then he models it. It's like, this is what it is, now experience it. And one, one little new thing I've been thinking about is, I actually think for Jesus, the deed and the power go together a lot. It's kind of interesting. Um, so I wanna, I wanna just read, we could look at lots of different passages, but I wanna read this passage in Luke 4, because I think it's a good demonstration, and just to prove to you that it's in the scriptures. <laughs> All right, so, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, word. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. It's kind of an interesting mixture of power and word there. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, which is pretty cool. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. So there we see the power. I think you could also say that's deed, too, helping this demonic, this guy um, struggling with with demonic um, out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Kind of interesting, just, just note there, do you notice how that physical healing goes? He didn't pray physical healing over her, did he? He spoke to the fever and said, hey, you have no rights to her. He rebuked the fever. So just, in the, in the spiritual authority cohort, what we do is we give you prayer tools and equip you with this toolbox. So this is another little tool for the toolbox. Okay, you might want to try that sometime. It's, it, it's the model of Jesus. Um, now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick and with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. Back to the word. For I was sent for this purpose. And then it says, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So word, deed, and power is, it's preaching and demonstrating. It's talking and walking it out. Guys, don't you think the world needs this from us? To not just talk about it, but to live it authentically? To experience it ourselves, to have fresh testimonies? My, my good friend Chris Marshall, who's here, he talks about that. I want to have fresh testimony every week not just testimony of when we came to Jesus, but fresh testimony, and then have the courage to pray for somebody and let them experience God. Um, So, you know, I would say ultimately, for me, bringing in this power component has really, it feels like it's a whole new Christian life to be honest with you. It's, it's brought my, I don't know if you ever feel, I always felt like my Christian faith was kind of theoretical. It's like you have these beliefs, um, but this has really brought it to the pavement. And now it just feels like I'm on this, I'm on this adventure. And so when I'm in my context, I'm asking, Lord, what, what do you have for me? And I'm li- Because I'm able to listen, right? So the, the scriptures are so important, and this is the word of God, but he also speaks to us as well. Um, I don't know if this is helpful for you, but for me, uh, the one analogy I use is it's, it's, like, it's like been like Narnia for me. So the wardrobe was hearing from God, and now I'm in there partnering with Aslan to take out the White Witch. I mean, this is, this is the Christian life, y'all, that we get to also invite people into. It's not just Bible studies and Sunday mornings, right? Amen, anybody? Amen. Sorry, I know this is a conversation I started preaching. <clears throat> I think that's it for me,
0: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh well, we are we're gonna wrap up for today, but um, a couple things. So this is this the reason we're doing this is because, um, like I said, this is the foundation. These are foundational conversations for the future of where we're headed, and it, it what we're talking about. Hopefully, it'll all make sense when we get through this, and and you'll see why. But really. Why we're having this is in these conversations is it, it's going to inform everything that we do as a church. And as we are in a transition as a church looking for a lead pastor, it's going to inform the person that we're looking for, the man that we're looking to hire and to, and to lead Calvary Church. And so that's why it's really important that we all understand where we're headed, where we're going, um, and those sort of things. But we want to leave you uh, today with some action steps and to begin practicing, like Mark said, praying and praying for our valley. so um, Let's just run through those, those prayer requests.
2: Yeah, so, so one, thing, um, one thing I've started to learn a little bit about is, is uh, revival and awakening So, in, in church history. And revival is really when the Holy Spirit comes in a special way on, upon God's people. Of, of, it's a time of renewal. And awakening is when that spills over into the society and culture and, and those far from God are swept into the family of God. Um, I think it's what that lion is wanting to do over this valley. And so, um, I think that we can ask God for that. And and we can step in and partner with him in that. And so, I I would just encourage you to pray for revival and awakening here in the Silicon Valley. And I wanted to give you a couple practical things. So, when you think about that awakening of it spilling over, would you write down two names today of people in your context that you have a relationship with that, that aren't followers of Jesus? Would you, would you write them down and begin to pray for them? And, and then the other part is, what, what do you see in your culture around you that you'd love to see transformed? And would you just, just do a little experiment, just, just in a quiet time, just ask Jesus what he thinks about it, and if there's anything you could be a part of in helping see that transformation happen? And I would say, you know,
1: another similar uh, thing that we've heard from, I think, Christian leaders for a long time, they, Excuse me. <laughs> they'll say that the largest army in the world is Christians. Or a sitting army. And uh, the problem is it's a sitting army. And a sitting army isn't ready to do battle. And so the real challenge is making that a standing army equipped and ready to move out. So... If you want a big, big prayer area to pray over, pray over that because that's what we need in Silicon Valley. That's what we need around the world. Amen.
0: The last thing that um, we'd ask you to pray for is that we're going to dive into this a little bit later, but we would acknowledge that um, we live in a post-truth society, post-truth culture. We're going to talk about more about what that is. But that what that really comes down to is that we believe that Silicon Valley, the people of Silicon Valley are being held by a lie of that there is no truth. And so, um, would we pray that God's truth would be known and Silicon Valley would be freed from those lies? Um, and like you said, Mark, earlier, that uh, God, movement, movements of God start when people pray, when people are committed to praying, and, and many of you are so good at that. Many of you do that daily, minute by minute, and so we would just invite everybody this week to spend time praying over those three things, and um, whatever God may lead you to pray for is okay too, but it would be great to be unified as a body, as Calvary Church, to be praying those three things together this week.